Welcome to the England Rugby Pod. Thanks for downloading episode 120. Following the bizarre events at Twickenham on Saturday, we take a look back over this year's Six Nations and discuss where England are heading and what they need to do. You're listening to the England Rugby Pod, the rugby podcast that believes England will win the World Cup in 2019. Hi guys, welcome back. Uh, it's been a rough couple of days. Pretty ropey weekend uh, from the England boys. But to discuss it all, as always, I'm joined by Dan. Hi mate, how are you feeling? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. I've watched the game again. Um, you're right, there's there's some stuff there. But ultimately, equally, if you weren't an England fan, you would just be like, wow, that was an amazing game of rugby, like from a spectacle perspective. Oh, 100%. Um, but we are England fans, so there's uh, definitely lots to discuss on the back of it. There is. Look, and I think before we get into this, uh, and I know we, we say it a lot, but I just want like, to, I feel like this is the time we need to say it again. You know, our, our place in the world, this podcast, the whole point of it is that we are here to, uh, to look for the silver linings. You know, we, we, we're unashamedly biased. We know that. Uh, we we back England because we want them to win, um, and we we kind of clarify that by saying that we genuinely believe that they can and that they will. And you know that's not going to change. That's why we're here. If you want to go and listen to doom and gloom, and you know listen to pretty much any other podcast about rugby, um, you know they've all got it. Read any paper; it's all over the media. Uh, there's plenty of places where you can go and hear about how it's the uh, the end of days as far as England are concerned. And I'm sure that you know after the next game when they win convincingly, everyone will be talking about how they're brilliant and favourites for the World Cup again. Um, yeah, that tends to be how the a lot of the rest of the media ebbs and flows. We try to maintain our integrity and uh, and just wow, wow. <laughs> continue continue to to you know back what we say what we said from the start that said yeah. <laughs> that said um there are obviously uh, things that we need to look at because you know it's not every day that you give up a 31 point lead um so you know that's that's what we're going to look at and we're going to try and look at those positives and we're going to try and work out uh not not just you know name and shame and 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 play the blame game, but try and say, well, where do England go from here? How do they get things back on track, and how do we get back to that position where everyone else also believes us when we say that England are going to win the World Cup in two thousand and nineteen? Yeah, exactly. And I don't think, and the reason we mention that a lot is because the the amount of messages we get saying, surely you don't still believe, or surely you don't think, or something along those lines. Guys, we do. And and actually, I think a lot of our listeners, I think a lot of our listeners feel exactly the same. But that's not to say that, yes, we will rose tint a lot of stuff. But that's not to say that we won't also look at, you know, areas that do go wrong. But we'll just then explain why them going wrong now is why it's also another reason we're going to win the World Cup. Exactly. Um, well, look, before we get into it all, we have had um, uh, a couple of... I mean, there's been lots of comments and things, but uh, in, in, in for, terms of reviews, questions, a couple of bits. Uh, old Wade is back. Is cool, old cool. Wade? He might be young Wade, I don't know. Um, but he's got a few bits to say. So I'm going to go through this, and then there's probably, once I've gone through it all, there's probably a fair few bits of this we can, we can look at. So, cool. uh, times for some tough talk. Time for some tough talk, maybe? Uh, the good news is, the five stars have remained so far, so you know yeah, we're not we're, we're not getting blamed for the result, which is nice. <laughs> uh, he says, "Guys, no waffle, please. This week, this is too serious. Fifth time England have blown a big lead in a year: two against South Africa, one against the All Blacks, and one against Wales." Um, I think you mean, yeah, okay. And then obviously Scotland. This is uh, not this is not a funny coincidence. It's a massive, massive issue. <clears throat> Unless addressed, don't bother going to Japan. This is just not good enough. It was embarrassing. A leaderless rabble, wild-eyed and clueless. Tactical ineptitude of the worst order. The main fact, uh, if the draw pans out, uh, if the draw pans out, England will play Wales in the quarter-final of the World Cup, in likelihood. Boys, honestly, not foolishly, are you going to put your mortgage on England to win this game? A World Cup knockout versus Wales, are you? If you say yes without caveat, you're jokers. England are... He says physiologically, but I think maybe he means psychologically, but I don't know what the difference is between the two, so we'll go with what he said. Weak. <laughs> and a flaky, you know that. 
They are in cricket terms, flat track bullies. Farrell is not a leader under pressure. Let's admit that now before it's too late. It's a Toje or Hartley. Immediacy is important. I said it weeks ago and you both laughed it off. Admit it now. Great player, not a captain. England lack any rugby intellect. A team with Wynn, McCaw, Warburton or O'Driscoll don't lose a 31-point lead. They imbue intellect and street smarts. It may be too late, but where are the leaders? Give me five in the England team. True leaders that will be in, that will be interesting. Where are they? Where are the communicators? Look at Brad Barrett. He is the heartbeat of the Saracens team, uh, a warrior, a talker, a communicator. Finally, we know that Gatland is a proper coach. Said it months ago. Eddie Jones is a tinkerer. Why drop, why drop Joe Cock and a Seager? Totally mindless. He is a contrarian. The joke is not funny anymore. Stupid press conferences don't win World Cups. He's not a great coach, so the players need to take a bit of control and tell the mad Uncle Eddie to go to the corner and shut up, and they can drive a team dynamic. A shambles, a disgrace. Scotland coming back from 30 points down at Twickenham. Are you mad? Fuming, WD. Um, okay, thanks, Wade. Thanks for that. There's a lot of what he says, but I agree with just not to that extent, not to the extent that I think he's he's outlined it. So... Fifth time England have blown a big lead. We can't ignore that. He's absolutely right. Um, Farrell, not a leader under pressure. So, I just he, want to say, in our defence, in, in his in his review here, he's suggesting that you know he said it weeks ago and we laughed it off. We've kind of always said we didn't think Farrell was captain. We obviously recently we've gone. England have had some good results with Farrell as captain, and it's too close to a World Cup to make the changes. You've got to continue to to back him. And he's doing a reasonable job. But that doesn't change the fact that we had good reasons for why we didn't believe that he should be, be the captain. And obviously the, the result against Scotland perhaps reopens that door. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I've, I've never, I don't think either one of us has ever said that he is the obvious captain in that team. Is he a leader? Yes. So, yeah, absolutely. And... And what Wade said, it's like the leadership thing, I, I do agree with. I think we lack leadership. But this is my this is my take on England blowing those leads and where I think it comes from. So I think it is, and, and I don't think many people are necessarily arguing, a mentality perspective. Now, I want to be careful here. I don't think England are mentally weak. I think they are mentally naive and mentally lazy. And I'll, I'll try and sort of slightly define that. So to me... In defence, if you're mentally weak, you don't want to or you're not quite willing to make the tackles. I think England have got to a point where mentally they're like, they don't think they need to. There's almost a point of, oh, never mind, because we can run run it back in and score these points. Let's Let's look at something. So for 30 minutes, England were absolutely outstanding. They were absolutely fantastic. And that and can't be ignored. That can't be ignored. But equally, like Wade says, what can't be ignored is blowing these big leads. And it is poor. So in Eddie's defence, because I there are a few things with Wade's I don't agree with. I don't think Eddie is a tinkerer. I think Eddie's smart. I think he's a great coach. Eddie has brought in, I was reading this the other day, he has brought in somebody who can help with that mental leadership. I agree that at the moment is our biggest concern. We don't have enough leaders on the pitch. We don't okay. have the lights. Let, let, let's address this specifically. He says, give me five leaders in the England team, true leaders. Okay. So I went through and I had a, I had a look. Um, and I would argue this okay. George, George Cruz, right? He's a lion. He's not obviously the captain. Uh, hasn't been the captain since his, you know, schoolboy days, but you know, he, he captains the line outs. Um, He's been described as the glue. Uh, you know, he has respect, hard work. You've got Launchbury. He's captain. He, he is the Wasps captain. He probably should have been a Lion. You've got a Toje, a Lion, who captained the under-20s um, to, a, to a, you know, a, a World Cup. Obviously, we've got Hartley. We don't know quite how, how that's going to work. It's something we'll come on to in a bit. You've got Mako Vunapolo, I would argue, is a leader. Uh, you've got Brad Shields, captain the Hurricanes, captain them to a, a draw with the Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, you've then got kind of slightly lower down the list, I suppose. Ben Young's to a degree. Um, Farrell is a leader, no question. Uh, he may not be 
the right man to be the captain for reasons we have mentioned and will no doubt mention again, but he is a leader. Um, you then got Brown and Robshaw on the fringes, uh, who are both leaders. I, I, and again, we'll come on, kind of come on to whether so, or not we think there's any space for them. But there are people in that team that if England were winning at the moment, if they hadn't just had this big upset, people would be saying, oh yeah, look, they've got a really good leadership group. Yeah, I mean, but but one thing I'd say about that, uh, just play devil's advocate, is these guys, a lot you mentioned, yes, have got leadership pedigree, but they haven't necessarily shown it in an England top. And like you say, fringe players, the likes of Rob Shaw, Brown, um, Hartley, probably won't be on the pitch. I do think the leadership side does definitely need developing. I think the players need to either be given or take more responsibility. I, I don't, but that's the thing. We don't know inside the camp. We don't know how much Eddie is saying is dictating or saying, come on guys, take control. And they just haven't stepped up. Yeah. But, okay. Well, let me turn to something else he mentions then. He follows that yeah. up by saying a team with Wynn, McCaw, Warburton, O'Driscoll doesn't lose a 31 point lead. I mean, you could go back through history and name players that were special. You know, we had a, we had a few of them in two thousand and three. The fact is, is that of those four names, only one of them still plays. And Alan Wynn, no one's questioning his captain, his his ability as a captain. You know, yeah, he's a great captain, and, and it's a massive advantage for Wales to have someone like that. Um, McCaw doesn't play anymore. Warburton doesn't play anymore. O'Driscoll doesn't play anymore. I don't think you can use examples of people that don't play anymore as to why England have serious problems. You know, if you can no, name me I, I, multiple, I that, multiple players point, no, that massively, yeah. uh, you know, exceed the, the, the leadership abilities of the England setup, who are likely to, to kind of come up against them. And I know people will say, yeah, I've seen loads of comments, Wales full of leaders, but they don't go into details. Yeah, I, 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 I get what you mean. And, but it, it is a good point. We should, I, I don't think the point was, you, you know, about, saying our guys aren't as good as these guys. I, I think the point is saying we should develop leaders to a point where you won't give away a 31-point lead because we never should... Yeah, 31-point lead, we never should have done that. And that no, was... 100% not. Okay, is, is there an argument to say, look, actually, let's not get carried away. England was so far ahead in that first half, and this is not an excuse. You know, this is, this is still unacceptable. But England was so far ahead in that first half... That they got, they just kind of got bamboozled by the score. It was kind of like, you know, and, and it leads a little bit into what you're talking about, what you were talking about with mental pressure and everything else. But bottom line is, the game, as much as you want to say it's not over, you've got to keep fighting to the end, and and of course that is how you want every team to play the to play the game, and it's what Scotland did. It's why how they were able to come back into it. Um, but is there an argument to say that it was just not one of those days? But it was like. They just had an absolute shocker because they got so far ahead so quickly, they didn't see any way for Scotland to come back into it. And so it was almost like they just couldn't help but switch off. Yeah, I, I think there is an argument. Rather than it being a, rather than it being a, a kind of a wider problem. So, so I think there's an argument if it's a one-off. But the fact that it's, been, it's happened a lot of times is where I think there is a wider problem. Okay, I mean Wales. The Wales game for me is not the same thing. That's not throwing away a significant lead. There was one. There was one South Africa game that was like that, where England went way, way ahead and then gave it all up. But I would say that the other games are not. It's not the same. You know, losing, losing when you're when you're ahead is one thing. What happened in this game in the South Africa game at the beginning of the the tour is an issue for sure. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't there aren't things that England absolutely must get right and change about the way they approach the game. But you talk about mental pressure. Um, I put a, a thing out on Facebook, my kind of my ramblings post match. Um, if we look at that game, okay, for me it all comes down to decision making in the last five minutes, if that, of the first half. Yeah, England are thirty. 31-7, I think. At half-time, yeah. Yeah, so 31-7. There's a minute left on the clock. England get a penalty in range. You talk about it all the time. Clive Woodward likes to talk about it a lot. Um, build the score, 
take the points. Now, I know that hindsight is a wonderful thing, and it's easy to say this, but, but for me, it's not about the scoreline. It's not so much about actually ticking the scoreboard over. England are in a position to say, we'll take the points. It'll use up the minute that's left on the clock. We'll probably get them, three more on the scoreboard, great. But most importantly, and I think this is where perhaps a better understanding of how England want to play the games, Scotland would have gone in at half-time having you know, a, a, a sort of a points concession being their last act of the half. Yeah. As it was, England went for the corner. And, you know, I understand the thinking behind that. You know, they'd already scored one from the corner. They were absolutely dominating the game. But England went for the corner. There's a risk when you do that that, you, that, that they might turn it over, which they did. Scotland then failed to clear their lines, giving England a lifeline. At which point I think, you know, the right call is to then counterattack. But, you know, they then counterattack and Scotland hold them off a second time. Scotland then finally clear their lines and they go in at, the half, at half time, having had two uh, kind of psychological victories over England as their last two acts of the game instead of a concession, which they could have had, you know, five minutes earlier. That's yeah. given Scotland uh, a, a kind of a, you know, this this kind of hope, not, not so much a hope to win the game, because I think any one of those Scotland players or any Scotland fan or any rugby fan watching that game didn't think that Scotland had a hope of winning that game nah, at half time. Not England fan, obviously. No. So, so, but, so that's where. But Scotland, hard. but Scotland went in and, and they said, right, our goal is we're going to win the second half. Yeah. But they've been massively kind of given this boost by the fact that look, we've just scored a try and then we've de- denied them twice. You know, there's no yeah. reason we can't win this half. Let's go out and do it. And they were really kind of g'd up by the whole thing. I, I feel like England. What, what they lack is that ability to control the game, by which I mean, if you can get out and spend 30 minutes scoring points for fun, brilliant. The second half, you don't need to win the game again. It, you know, this whole idea of let's pretend it's nil-nil at half time and go out there and do it again. Why? If you're talking about building for a World Cup, it's about getting a win, plain and simple. There are no bonus points. Yeah. So you don't, once you've won the game, if that's what you, how, you, how you view it, the game's not actually won yet. You've still got to get the fin- get to the final whistle. So it's about then changing tactics to, and Wales are very good at this, to being smart. You know, yeah. pin, pin the opposition back in their own half. You know, you don't have to run everything at them and cheeky offloads and play play kind of sexy rugby. You, you, it's about controlling the game, slow it down. You know, kick for touch rather than for space. No, um, exactly. But pin that's them back what in England- the corners. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And England, that's what England didn't. went out and thought, oh, we've put 31 points on them in the first half. Let's go and do another 31 points in the second half. Which, but, you know, great as a spectacle, but there's no need for it. No, exactly. So, so doesn't that almost back up the point of the lack of leadership? Like, well, especially once Scotland get a couple of tries. I mean, this is where I would ask. Is that ask, not the point? Well, maybe, but, but this is where I would also ask, you know, is there, you know, behind the scenes, are the the management side, are the coaches saying... We want you to score six tries in each half. You know, do they? Is Eddie saying I want you to go out there in the second half and put on another four points, another four tries because we're sending a message to them? Because if that's the case, then then there is a certain amount of blame that I would put on on Eddie, at Eddie's feet and say, look, why are you as the coach? You're the one with the clear head who should be saying exactly what we're saying now, which is that listen, boys, this game is won as long as you now go out there and and just control the ball. Don't fling it around. Don't worry about you know unnecessary offloads. Maybe maybe um, add a few more people to the ruck. It doesn't matter because we're not looking to 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 try and create spaces and break lines for the next forty minutes. You know, if the opportunity presents itself, brilliant. We've got the quality in this team and the quality of attack to create something from nothing. But if the opposition doesn't have the ball, or if they have it but in a non-attacking position, they can't score points. And every minute every five minutes every 10 minutes that disappears from that clock it becomes harder and harder and harder for them to come back into the game um, yeah. and England to me just lacked that that sort of I guess that that rugby nous to kind of go listen guys we don't we don't need to go and score 10 so, yeah no 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 absolutely mate so, so I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that but like, like we're saying we don't know what's been said by the in that lot but surely 
the, the reason they're lacking that now is perhaps a lack of leadership on the pitch. Like no one's taking responsibility and saying, guys, what are, what are we doing? Why are we still playing this way? We've been playing this way for the first 10 minutes because we thought we could blow them off the park. That hasn't worked. We've now given them two tries or three tries or whatever to get back into it. Right, now we change. Now we stop it. We shut this game down. Every line out, we catch and drive. We just get in their area. We take a three points and we restart. The fact that they weren't able to adapt like that on the pitch, I think it's our biggest problem. But what I will say is that is well aware. I think to say, yes, it's happened one too many times and perhaps we should have seen this before. No one and no fan out there can t- on, can tell me with a straight face that they believed England were going to lose that match at half time. So the fact that that did happen, yes, is bad. The fact it's happened before, yes, is bad. But it really has hit home now. Maybe it should have hit home sooner. But they are going to take changes to make the difference. And I don't think England will do that again because it's happened just one too many times in too ridiculous, too many ridiculous scenarios where the England team will now be, even if they are 30 points up against, I don't know, US, maybe not USA, but say 30 points up against Scotland again in a match um, or whatever. I think that England team will be like, we know what can happen here, so we need to make sure they will be a bit more on edge. Having said that, the problem with it is other teams will be like, well, England can fold here. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen that happen. And also, there must be a bit, there must be, inevitably, if that scenario has happened, say they're, say Wales caught final for argument's sake, um, England went in at 20 points up at half time. If suddenly Wales came out and got a couple of tries, England must in front of them be like, oh no, it's happening again. There must be that mental barrier. That's what they need to, in my mind, that's what they need to get over. Yeah. And they need to get over that as a team and, and and as individuals. And they've got to have individuals on the pitch who can say, um, right, we came out here thinking this is how we're going to win this game now. This hasn't worked. So this is what we're going to do instead. They've got to have people strong enough and smart enough on the pitch to be able to say that. Yeah, which I, I, yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I would say that this, to me, doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like the most difficult solution. You know, all these players. The kind of, if you look at rugby, that the the simple, the, the simpler version of the game is what we're describing. This this idea of just saying, look, just pin them back, uh, kick to touch rather than to space. You know, use up the clock. Uh, it, it, most teams are capable of doing that. Yeah. So yeah. really, if you can get that lead, you know, to talk about mental toughness and the leadership's not there. I mean. It almost feels like, well, surely a message could have come on from one of the water boys to say, look, Eddie says you need to switch it up and, and start just um, pinning them back and kicking into touch rather than space and stop attacking so aggressively because there's no need for it anymore. Like, could, could it not have been that simple? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it possibly can. So I'm with you. Like, I would much rather be in this position where we're making stupid, idiotic mistakes, let's be, let's be honest about it, rather than a position where we're looking at the team thinking, this team's just not capable of winning because this team, those first 30 minutes, and I stick by this, no other team bar the All Blacks. I think the All Blacks in England are the only two teams in the world that can play that sort of rugby. Well, and it's interesting when you talk about Wales in, in a semi-final and it doesn't send shivers quarter down. Final. Sorry, quarter-final. It doesn't send shivers down my spine. You know, I look at, I look at Wales in this Six Nations and... I said it after the game, I'll say it again, they deserved to win the Grand Slam because they played outstandingly well against Ireland in a game that was for the Grand Slam. And they won it. Um, you know, they did. They, they dealt with what was in front of them. But if you look at the performances in the individual matches, there's loads of people saying, you know, their defence was outstanding and, you know, that's what won them the Grand Slam. England played very badly against Wales in the Six Nations. And yet... They still only lost in the last ten minutes. Yeah, but that, that's... Wales Wales defence. I'm not I'm not denying that they have a great defence, but if you can't score points, you know I would argue that if England put if England played well against Wales instead of playing badly, and that's a big if, obviously, um, 
But I think they played well against Wales and put 30 points on them. Wales defence might be great, but where are they getting their where are they coming back from? Without the attack. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that's... Do, do you know what I mean? Like I know it's easy to say that, you know, but I, I, I genuinely believe that that what England have right now, with their ability to attack the way they can for thirty minutes, it there, there's a relatively small shift in mentality needed. I think to just tweak this and get it right. I don't think it's a tear it up and start again. And you know, to say things like if you can't sort this out, don't bother going to Japan and all that stuff. This is still a team that can do things that no other teams can do and did in this Six Nations Championship. Yeah, so 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 I do agree with that. I don't think it's. I think it's very fixable, and I think England, as Danny Kerr said, I think England can do great things in Japan, and I've always believed that, and I still completely and genuinely, I still do completely believe that. Um, so, Wade, one of the questions you said is, would you put the mortgage on England? beating Wales in the quarterfinal. Now, I wouldn't volunteer that bet, but if I had to bet either England or Wales, I would back England. Yeah, I agree. I, I, also, Wade, neither Dan or I ever suggested we wanted to put our mortgage on England to win the World Cup. That was, <laughs> that was you, my friend. You were the one that said, after the last time England had a big victory, that you were now going to put your mortgage on England to win the World Cup and that we'd, we'd swayed your opinion. So uh, I think that's probably a more question that you need to ask yourself. Yeah, I've just um, put my missus on it. I've done yeah. that. I've left, you know, I've left all financials out of it. I've just put, I've just gambled my missus on it. But um, yeah, I get what you're saying, and I get why you're why you're using the example. Um, but you know, I would argue that hang on, this is you know, if we're going to be serious for a moment, it's rugby, okay? It's a sport. It's eighty minutes, and then the whistle goes, and things happen, things change. You know, even even in the game against Scotland, and we'll come on to this now. I think. Um, Three of their tries came from the ropiest of England mistakes, individual errors. Yeah. Um, you know, the 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 the, the, the McAnally, was it McAnally who scored the, the breakaway, tr- the try from the charge down kick? I can't remember it, actually, but uh, yeah. So first of all, Farrell gets charged down. Uh, probably nine times out of ten, he sees that coming and changes his mind or gets the kick away beforehand. Nevertheless... He gets charged down. You then got one of the fastest, if not the fastest, uh, winger in the game chasing down a hooker. And he gets his timing wrong or something. And yeah, he doesn't manage to catch him. Bizarre. When's that ever going to happen again against Johnny May? So uh, I'm not taking anything away. They scored the try and England failed to defend it. But those aren't mistakes that are down to bad players. They're down to bad circumstances in the, in that moment you know later on you had a similar thing with Elliot Daly just not making a tackle I mean in fact we'll, we'll come on to Elliot Daly he's one of the ones I want to talk about but there were there were a few situations that were very easily avoidable I think is the point here um, whilst it's a problem that England didn't avoid them and I get that a World Cup is knockout and so you can't afford to have these issues going forwards the bottom line is that they are they were mistakes that are easily put right so you're right, it's it's good that this happened now and it's highlighted something that England need to work on because I think if England had gone out in that second half, conceded a couple of tries, not done very much more but won the game, we'd probably be saying, wow, well, with a first half performance like that, who cares that you conceded a couple of tries? You know, what a great win. Yeah, Whereas of this course. Has forced, this has forced us to go, something's fundamentally wrong. But I think fundamentally wrong while that may be right, it's not as severe a problem as a lot of people are making out, in my opinion. I, I, I agree with you, mate. And and there are a few things. So, Wade, just to go back to sort of your email, one of the things you said was, uh, sort of, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, and I apologise if I'm taking this, if I'm sort of not necessarily getting a point across you were trying to say, but in my mind you were saying it was ridiculous to drop Joe Cockney Singer. I actually agreed with that decision. I personally would have liked to have seen him on the bench, but I think starting Jack Nowell was the right choice. And I understand why Eddie did it. I don't think that was a ridiculous call. Um, But that's just my opinion for that. So England's back three plus Slade all made more than 100 metres each. Yeah, Noel made made four clean breaks beating 12 defenders. Wow. 
Now, you're not dropping Johnny May, so how else are you getting Noel in? I, I, I agree with you. I think I think Noel starting was the right call, but I would have had uh, Cockney Seager on the bench instead of Tio. We said that before the before the game. But yeah. I don't think that that had any impact on the result. Like I don't think that no, Joe Cockney was going to completely change the game from out on the wing. Um, the, the the issues were it, more central central and down to defensive errors on an individual basis. So let's talk about Elliot Daly. Okay, we've yeah. we've we've debated heavily whether he is. Uh, we kind of said on the one hand we think he's a world class player. Certainly in tack, and then on the other hand, it's is he a fullback? You know, we used to say it was is he bad under the high ball. England seem to have found a solution to that in that Daly's never under the high ball when it's a pressure kick. Um, Johnny Mayers. So whether or not he would be okay underneath it, we don't even. It doesn't matter because he's he's further back, and when he gets kicks and you know when he gets a high ball in space, I haven't seen him you know have, have issues taking them. Um, however, he did. He did attempt three tackles on Saturday in the whole match, and he made one of them. Two missed. Um, he had two turnovers conceded. That probably doesn't mean so much because if you are taking the ball at the back, you potentially there's more potential for, for isolation. Um, I would argue though, you know, England's blitz defence. When you look at um, missed tackles, I, I believe I think they probably missed. Well, they definitely missed too many. They only they they miss thirty percent, but but the the blitz defense, the style of defense they play, it does result in more missed tackles. It's kind of almost the way that you know it's, it's how they're using defense as an attacking move, if you like. It's it's you know almost run up as two lines, isn't it? The first line's <laughs> there to try and disrupt the ball, and if that doesn't work, the second line's there to make the tackle. So you expect a certain number of missed tackles, but obviously Elliot Daly as fullback is less involved in a blitz defense. Because he's back in case they decide to kick, so you don't want to see those missed tackles from your fullback. Yeah, I so I'm, I'm, I completely agree with that from a fullback. I think something to bear in mind at the weekend is, I mean, some of the tackles we missed were absolutely terrible. Like mm. it was a real comedy of errors, and I don't think that stuff's going to happen again. I don't think Johnny May is going to let a hooker get the. Get a no. nudge on him again. It was a very poorly timed tackle, but they're not tackles that is, you know, the England boys are going to let happen again. Um, Elliot yeah. Daly had a poor defensive game. Yeah. He does need to work on that. Of course he does. For me, I, I know you and I sometimes think differently about this, but for me, I still, it's not just a case of we've got no one else and it's too soon. I still think he's the best person to be fullback for the World Cup. Okay, so let me ask you this then. If if Anthony Watson was fit and firing right now, yeah. would your opinion change? Uh, I don't think so. I, I would have... So my, my opinion... I, I Because I haven't seen him in so long, I don't know is the answer. But I don't think so. I still think that, to me, Elliot Daly offers something at fullback that even Watson can't quite add. And yes, Elliot Daly needs to tighten up areas of his game. But, you know, a lot of these are basic defensive stuff that I think can be tightened up fairly easily and comfortably within time for a World Cup, mm. which is why I'm keeping Elliot Daly. Yeah, at no, fullback. fair enough. I wasn't, I'm not, my, my bringing it up is because I think it's one of the areas that there's statistics to to kind of back up certain concerns. But I, I think I do agree with you. I, <sighs> He, I think he needs to be involved, and I don't see anywhere else to involve him right now, given, you know, Slade's marked improvement, you know, in this during this championship, um, given the return of Manu with the quality we've got on the wings right now, it feels like fullback is the only space open to him, and which is a weird thing to say about a player who you're saying you de- you, you need in the team. Um, part of me wishes there was. You know, we had a, a world-class fullback, and then perhaps less options on the wing, and so Daly was was our winger. But you know, I think I think you're right. I think he is the right person for the job. And I suppose right now, if you're looking at the potential options, it is Mike Brown who would offer leadership, but nowhere near the quality in attack. So, so to me, but I I think you're 
Yeah, I, I think you're changing your, your the dynamics of your team too much if you bring in Mike Brown. That's nothing against Mike Brown. Yeah, That's against the way we play. I mean, to say Eddie's lot, like England played some really, really good rugby in that tournament. Well, they yeah. played some poor rugby as well. Well, look, um, just just before we go into the, the tournament in general, though, that just looking again at the Scotland game, and again, I, I know the stats, you know, they need to be taken with a certain amount of salt. But possession, first half, England 57%. Second half, England 60%. Territory, first half, 69%. Second half, 66%. Clean breaks, 24 England, 11 Scotland. Defense, uh, defenders beaten, 45 England, 35 Scotland. Turnovers conceded is more of an issue. 18 for England, 11 for Scotland. Can't be conceding 18 turnovers. That's, that's a problem. But yeah. England statistically controlled even that game. Um, you know, 674 metres run versus Scotland's 494. So 180 metres run more. Um, interestingly, 100% on the scrums, but there was only one. They only have one attacking scrum. 16 out of 16 line outs is phenomenal. And we've already mentioned that the the tackles, you know, thirty percent missed tackles is not is not good enough that's either. That's terrible. That, that's a that's, that's a problem terrible. even with the blitz defence. But for me, that does say that Scotland created opportunities from nothing. They, they were like little moments, and you know, ultimately, a missed tackle in the middle of the park can do that. And and I and I get that 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 can be that can cost you a match. It can cost you a World Cup. Uh, in a knockout stage, and you know, the, yes, that has to be dealt with. It's got to be tightened up, and it's got to be sorted out. But you know, barring a couple of these individual errors that can be fixed, Scotland didn't get into that game. Scotland came out in that second half. They had absolutely nothing to lose and absolutely no fear. And don't get me wrong, they were heroic. Yeah. But still, nine times out of ten, you're not pulling that off. Because that was pulled off not just by Scotland's brilliance and the way they played, but also by England's just silly mistakes. And and sometimes bad luck's the wrong word. It's not bad luck, but, you know, England's just, you know, something that's like there's tackles there that, like, Scotland went through where you're like, England are not going to miss those tackles again. And nine times out of ten, at least once one person's going to make that tackle. But... The tackles were just timed slightly poorly, so the Scotland players were able to bounce off and run through. Yeah. Because, but also, I think the reason for that is England mentally were not as committed to to it as perhaps they should have been. I understand why they weren't, but that's where you know that's England what, are looking to fix. Yeah, that's that's the the mental issue they need to deal with is that you know it, it's about it's about you know a game isn't over until the final whistle, but but a game doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be sexy rugby for eighty minutes. Um, ah, so Johnny. And if you can, if you can deliver a, you know, a, a winning scoreline with 50, 40, 30, 20 minutes to go, you need to be ready to change tact and defend that score until the final whistle, rather As than you... feel the need to to continue to show off, if you like. Because you know, inevitably, a lot, a lot of what England does in attack, and it is, it is something special to watch. It's, it's risk taking. You know, it's flat passes that could potentially get intercepted if it's just a fraction off. But you, you kind of, you know, someone like an Owen Farrell, he's weighing the odds in a fraction of a second and going, yeah, it's worth the risk. Bang, and it comes off. We score amazing tries, and everyone's saying, you know, these guys are, these guys are brilliant. So you only want to take those risks as long as you need to take them. When the when the need to take them goes away, then you need to stop taking them. <laughs> That's kind of how I think they need to adjust their thinking. Um, you know, you look at the the coaching setup we've got now. You know, John Mitchell, defence coach, he's been brilliant. England's defence, barring the second half against Scotland, and. Uh, to, to, probably not not against Wales, in fact. The defence probably wasn't the issue against Wales at all. I, th- I think the discipline in defence was a bit of an issue. So so I think that can sit under the defence banner. But but generally speaking, the defence that England have under John Mitchell has been excellent. It's it's looked good. At times, it's looked brilliant. Like against the Irish, it looked yeah. absolutely fantastic. So, so 
yes, it went wrong uh, against Scotland, but we know it can go very right. The attack yeah. under Scott Wisemantle has been brilliant in uh, every game but Wales. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we know. Yeah, Eng- no, so we know England we, can attack aggressively and score points. You know. But yeah, well, uh, and and that's it. We've just got to we've got to get the continuity. We've got to keep it together because it, it is true. Like it only takes one Wales game, one Scotland game, for you to be out of a World Cup. Yeah. And we've got to make sure that that doesn't happen now. But we know it. At least we know what we need to do. And. As you said to me in a week, England are very good at doing the hard work, but when it comes to the easy part, it that's where they mess up. Yeah, don't, like, like, don't make it more difficult for yourself than it needs to be. I mean, Owen Farrell said after the game, we probably were in more control of the game than we thought we were, I think was how he put it. Um, and it's mm. kind of exactly right. It's it's you, you were completely in control of that game. You needed to know yeah. that, and then you needed to make the kind of the grown-up decision to say... Guys, we don't need to go and we don't need to do that again. We don't need a repeat performance. Yeah, it would be great to, to do it, but there's no need for it. Let's play the sensible game now. Um, and you're right, that's where certain leadership elements come in. And for me, and this comes right back to the beginning to the whole leadership question, Farrell is not the England captain on his own, at least. Now, one person said to me uh, in a comment on Twitter, um, Hartley's got to come back because uh, you need his leadership. And then someone replied to that saying, you can't, and I kind of feel the same way, Jamie George has been so good, you can't put Jamie George on the bench and bring Hartley back in. It wouldn't make sense. So someone else said, well, why not have Hartley on the bench? Farrell hasn't been problematic as the England captain in the first 30, 40 minutes. It's always been towards the end of the game. So why not have Hartley come on for that last 30 minutes when perhaps... England heads are starting to drop or, or you know, to switch off a little bit rather. And that's where that leadership gets to kind of do what it is it needs to do. Thoughts on that? Yeah. So basically yes partly no. so, for Cameron Dickey. Yeah, because I don't think Cameron Dickey's been given the chance. But the only issue you have with that is in the game, if Jamie George is having such a great game, line outs are going, well, do you necessarily want to change up a star player? But he's doing but it anyway. Maybe you know, it's yeah. almost like a given thing now. Front rows, front rows come off. So yeah, I don't think that's a bad idea. Ideally, and we, we may not have this, which is why that may not be a bad idea. Ideally, you want that leadership to come elsewhere, where somebody is almost guaranteed to be on the pitch. Um, I mean, that's and- the problem, though, isn't it? Because then you look at the second row, and you know, we ordinarily I would have said Toje, one of the first names on the team sheet, if not the first name. Certainly in the forwards. Is he that guaranteed? Because Cruz has been I, awesome in this Six Nations. Cruz, Cruz has been absolutely brilliant. He's been our second best player, I think, in the Six Nations. Um, then you've got Launchbury, who, who we know is a yeah. leader who, who you've pitched as the England captain before. Obviously, Atoje is a name that's come up. I think the problem with, with Mauro Atoje is that he's still got that sort of hot-headedness to a degree maybe not he's not always going looking for fights but you know he, he he has moments where he kind of loses his head a little bit you know there have been games in the past where he's probably you know not been thinking quite as straight as we might might like that said he's he you know he captained the under 20s but then that is under 20s it's a different yeah that is a different I don't think that can be um you got Mako he doesn't tend to lose his head. He just gets on and does his thing. I know he was injured for the last couple of games, but he'll be back. But the problem the problem we have is we don't understand the dynamic within the camp. There could be a very good reason why a likes of a Toje is not being considered. Maybe a Toje is, is, is not a natural. It's not somebody who the players naturally. I don't mean as a person. I mean as a leader. Maybe the players don't naturally gravitate towards him as a leader. We don't know this. That's what makes it hard. And the problem with the second row, like you say, is... I mean, George Cruz, a year ago or, you know, two years ago or whatever, was amazing. And then all of a sudden he was completely out of favour and not doing well. Now he's back as, I think, him and Atojo are our first two-choice second row. Whereas I've always been chatting Launchbury because I always thought Atojo Launchbury, you know, if everyone's yeah. fit, are our choice. But then Courtney Laws was doing well. So the problem with the second row is actually we've got too many good players there. Well, we've got <laughs> so four, four, four people for three spaces. 
Um, yeah. But I, I, I would argue that you've got a, a you've got you've got an option in Launchbury or Cruise. You know, Launchbury obviously, as I say, captain. He's the, he's the Wasps captain, so he has that experience. Cruise, I think, Captain Cruise, quite like that. Nice ring to it. And I know you've mentioned that because he's the, the kind of the the line out caller, the captain of the line out. You can't do both, but I don't. Why not? Why can the captain he's, not call the line outs? He's he's a brilliant player and he's great at line outs. He just, if I'm honest, he just reminds me of uh, he just reminds me of Jaws from James Bond a bit. Just like brilliant, big, That's big, a- efficient, powerful. But his leadership is just like I just think he could be Condies in like. Like if George Cruz is like we're going for post, one of the opposition comes up. Behind like, you, George. Where are are you, George? And he's like, no, 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 no. We're going for corner. Good boy, George. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'm doing him a massive disservice here. But, Sounds pretty harsh, to be honest, mate. <laughs> yeah, it does sound a little harsh, but um, it's it just, I I I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to this, uh, and and I don't know, but I do agree. We need a lot more leadership. We we need people. To really players as a whole, I think to take more responsibility, and we need certain players to stand up and really take on more leadership roles. I actually don't think the captaincy issue and who has the title is the major issue. I think the major issue is having players have more responsibility as a whole, and who has the title, I don't think has to be a major a major issue. Do do we need someone though who has an ability to talk to the referee in a way that the referee responds positively? Because it feels like Farrell doesn't have that. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I, I don't think Farrell doesn't have it. I mean, he. I think I think a lot more's put into that. I think I think I think we're mugging off referees quite a lot there. I don't. You think say there's... that, but you look at you look at someone like Alan Wynn, who, you know, we, we, yeah, in the England game. How many times was he clearly trying to wind up the opposition players and then immediately turning to the ref and going, ref, ref, look what's happening, look what's happening, and then get yeah, a penalty. But but that's able to be done from a player perspective. I think, I think but Farrell kind of gets, I don't know, it feels though that, that Farrell doesn't get given the same amount of consideration. It's almost like he's done, but he just, I don't think he is respected as much by referees. And you know things like the getting away with the yeah, he got there was another one obviously on Saturday uh, another hit that he probably got away with um, people calling for red no but not a red but but, but, but well, quite possibly it, he got away with the, with a yellow um, he got away with it because yeah. there's no way he was looking to tackle the guy and I don't really know why he folds his arm in like he could have just made a tackle and it would have been fine yeah might, might have been pinged for late probably not um, there's. There's a, I think there's a few points. And I think one thing to remember, and this is not slagging off a referees from Six Nations, come the World Cup, the referees on those pitches will be the best referees in the world, certainly when it gets to the knockout stages, which you've got to back England to make the knockout stages. And those referees are just a bit longer in the tooth, are just a bit less likely to be sway. Like, it's all very well saying, like, Alan Wink and sway. I think, you know, you come up against Nigel Owens and Wayne Barnes, they're not being swayed. So I think that that factor of being able to engage with the referees at the stage that counts becomes less important because I think the referees you're dealing with are the ones who have who have that much more experience and are a lot less likely to be, you know, to be um, manipulated is the wrong word, but to be, but to be curried favour with by. Um, you know, by a captain. I don't think the likes of the referees doing the quarterfinals onwards are going to make decisions based upon how well a captain is engaging with them. Yeah. I mean, subconsciously, there is, I guess, always a tiny it's, factor to that. It's, it's I about think it it's, all, though, isn't it? It's about it all combined. It's, it's of course. If you, if you can get a little bit, a little bit more out of the referee, whether that's you know whether that's fifty-fifty calls falling your your way because you have that rapport with the ref. They're just that touch more likely to maybe not even you know, subconsciously they're kind of leaning towards you slightly more than the player that perhaps they're not quite so uh, fond of, if you like. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like that's one of the things that Alan Wynne Jones is very good at doing. And it, there's a lot of things he's very good at doing. Well, in fairness, I know we slag him off a lot, but <laughs> he is a, he's actually not that bad. In fairness to him, I, I mean, I, all the calls for him to be player of the tournament, I don't get, but. 
you know, I'm sure someone will tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, look, we've had a, another comment from someone who says, I'm sure you'll be discussing the game, discussing game management. However, do you think England's biggest concern is fitness? This is from Druid. Uh, uh, Drew Nello numbers on Twitter. It goes on to say, uh, "You have some England's biggest is, sorry, is England's biggest concern fitness. You have some big units that are on fire for the first thirty, but Billy and Co were blowing in Cardiff and Twickers. Uh, blowing a thirty-one point lead can't be down to awful game management alone. I think mental fitness rather than physical fitness, and that, and that's such a cock thing to say. If somebody said that to me, I'd be like, don't say that shit to me. But um, it, it, I." I don't. I think physically we're as fit as anyone. I don't think we're in poor physical condition. Billy, don't forget, hasn't necessarily played a huge amount of rugby. Um, I, I think the fitness is the mental ability to do, have put an eighty minutes full concentration in, which England can do because we saw them do it against Ireland. Yeah. So England can do it. Um, it's just about being, you know, consistently doing it every match, regardless of the scenario. Physically, my opinion is we are fit enough and we're not poor on the fitness side. Yeah. What What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think there's a fitness issue. Um, I think that this close to a World Cup, it would be too easy. It's an interesting it, it point. Be, it would but... be too too kind of like, what on earth's going on? If you're not fit enough to last to last the game six months out from a World Cup, you know, it's kind of fundamentals, and I think England have shown that they're that they've got the fitness. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that's it. I, I I think that the thing about Billy supposedly struggling, I think it just you know the last couple of games teams have well in those two games uh, defensively the teams have managed him. But that's, also, if you're playing a game that that loose and you're weighing the same size as an average elephant. I imagine that fitness is gonna is gonna take its toll on you a little bit, but I think that's I don't think Billy's not fit enough. I, I think part of that might be down to the uh, management to sort of manage the pace of the game, manage the pace of the game from a player perspective, but also manage the substitution on the bench. Yeah, I mean, you want Billy to be able to last eighty minutes, of course. Uh, I think this comes it comes back around to what we said at the beginning, and that is that. <laughs> You know, England don't need to win the game for 80 minutes. No, they, that that sounds weird. Obviously, they need to. But if they do what they did on Saturday in the first 30 minutes, they don't need to spend another 60 doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like it's like Formula One and pit stops. You know, you you have a strategy and you decide to to push on for an extra few laps or you decide to come in early and make changes. It, it's the same sort of thing. If you're going to go hell for leather for 30 minutes, then obviously you need to be able to control that later on. You know, no one's going to be able to do, put in 150% for 80 minutes. Yeah. So I, 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 from that perspective, I suppose fitness, it, it would be an explanation. I don't think it's an issue I think that if England want that from their players in the first 30 minutes, they need to be prepared to have a game plan that slows things down later on. Even if it's play 30 minutes like that, slow it down for 30 minutes, and then put in a final 20 where you pick up the pace again or something. But I, you, you can't go into a game expecting that sort of level for 80 minutes because I don't think any team has ever done that. You certainly can't with the size of players these days. No. I think... If you're saying you want that intensity, you have to say to the likes of a Billy, even a Manu and things, we're going to need you to trim down a few pounds. But with that, you may lose that impactful power that makes those breaks, which you don't want to lose. So, I I mean, I I kind of get where you're coming from. I, I do. But for me personally, I think the fitness is a mental fitness rather than a physical fitness. Um, and 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 that's all she wrote. Don't say that shit to me. <laughs> nice. Um, you mentioned to me uh, earlier in the week that you wanted to, one of the questions you wanted to ask is: Has anybody jeopardised their position in this team? Yeah, yeah. I I don't think they have. No, I can't think of anyone. Uh, the only person to me who I'm not looking at from that squad, thinking I would have in my World Cup squad if I named it now, would probably be Brad Shields. So that's interesting because Eddie's described him along with Cruz as a glue player who holds the team together. 
Yeah, so, see, that's the problem. We, I don't see, I don't see in camp because but, Eddie and me fell out. So, oh, so he kicked you out. Uh, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he is like so. So when, when you know, glue player Eddie's previously used that term to describe Rob Shaw. You know, someone who does the hard work you don't necessarily see. Um, and and perhaps that's what it is with Brad Shields. Perhaps there's stuff going on that we're just not picking up on. Um. Well, I'll tell you what, he's bloody good at hiding that. I'll give him that. <laughs> Harsh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like he is a, a leader who just hasn't been with this side long enough for it to show yet. And, okay, fine. In which case, is there, long enough, is there long enough between now and the World Cup? Yeah, I think there is. Fair I think enough. there is. I, I think there are options. I, you know, we've got, what, four more games before the yeah. World Cup. And and have many training sessions and things, and we have too many players, so they're not all going to go anyway. So I think there's still time to say, look, let's not write him out of the of the squad just yet, and make a decision at the last minute about which way you go with the options you have available. Um, I don't think there's anyone. I think the point here is that I don't think there's anyone new who's going to be coming in. We're not going to see a Cipriani. We're not going to see a Don Armand. Um, and at this stage, I kind of feel like, well, you know, that those those particular ships have sailed. I think people who say that <laughs> this is another interesting post that went out. It wasn't actually one of mine, but it's one that I saw. It was someone saying that uh, George Ford doesn't offer anything to the England team. Cipriani should be on the bench instead of him because he can offer something different. But uh, it was George Ford who George Ford did well. <laughs> who drew the match? I still don't get me wrong. I still want Cipriani, but George Ford did well. George Ford doesn't deserve to be dropped, but I think Cipriani deserved to be picked. So I, just, I, I, I feel like that ship has sailed, though. I, what does picking Cipriani now offer? Uh, Somebody who can completely unlock defenses. I think more than Ford or Farrell can. Do you think a lot more than Farrell? I think so. Mm. Overall, I, I overall I start Farrell. Don't get me wrong, I still start Farrell, and I think Farrell's a better ten overall. But I think Cipriani can unlock a defence in, in one-off flare moments better than Farrell. Yeah. I suppose. I suppose the. I suppose the thing, therefore, is if England are playing sensible rugby, and they're going out and they're putting in these thirty-minute performances where they're posting their you know substantial score. And then, in theory, they're changing tact, which they didn't do against Scotland, and they're controlling that. In theory, there's no need for a Cipriani to come on and break a defence, you know, out of nowhere. There's always need for that, brother. There's always need. But there's for only that. so many people on the bench, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was you or someone else who was saying about this idea of a Plan B. Um, you know, you can't have a Plan B. Um, in fact, I think actually it was it was the missus was listening to a podcast and it was one of the a podcasts was saying, uh, I think it was um, Wigglesworth that was being interviewed. And he was saying all this talk about England don't have a plan B, England don't have a plan B. He said, of course, they don't have a plan B. You don't train for plan B. If you train for plan B, you're not spending 100 percent of the time on plan A. What you want, obviously, are the players who have the ability to identify when certain elements of what they're doing need to be tweaked. But ultimately, you have a plan, and you train for a plan. Um, and it was just—it was an interesting point. Um, you know, you you don't want to have two or three different plans that you train for. Um, but that... you tell your missus to stop knowing more shit than us. I know, I know it's, it's getting annoying. a bit annoying. <laughs> it is showing us up, but yeah. um, but it's to me, plan A needs to be what does eighty minutes look like. Not what does 30 minutes look like and then just keep doing it for as long as you can. What does 80 yeah, yeah. minutes look like? And plan A is therefore 30 minutes of this, 20 minutes of that, and then finish up with 30 minutes of something else. You know, it's it, it's that sort of a, an approach to the game. Um, and and committing to that plan. But having yeah. the, have, you know, the, the players that, that exist are quality enough that they have been in situations many times with club and country where things haven't gone exactly to plan. They probably rarely go exactly to plan. But that doesn't mean that you have to have multiple plans. It just means you have to be able to make subtle changes on the fly. 
um, not tear up the playbook and start again from scratch, you know, and and just expect to have someone in the team who's going to make that happen. You know, Alan Wynne Jones doesn't do that. Warburton didn't do that. You know, none of the none of those guys core O'Driscoll. They didn't suddenly go, guys, everyone in, right, listen, we're going to completely scrap the plan. We're doing this now. Yeah. So I, I think all the plan B people shouting about how England don't have a plan B, get off your armchairs. Plan B this. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I, I was a plan B person myself, so I can plan B it myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Right, you, you, okay. were, you were plan B, mate. <laughs> oh, that's what my mum says to me all the time. <laughs> no, she um, told me you were in the result of a nice bottle of claret, mate. <laughs> Considering she doesn't drink, she's done well there. Not anymore. Um, that's because of what happened last, last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, right, so let's, we've, we've gone on quite a while. We have. One thing we wanted to do, and I'll put together, and I, I think, I'm not sure if you have as well, our team of the Six Nations, just 15. You don't want to do... Yeah, no, I, I but, haven't because I thought we'll end up just okay. reading out the same names. But I'll Okay, yeah. I'll put together my... Do you want to hear my I, 15? I do, I do. Lots of these have been floating around. Um, okay. So it'll be interesting, yeah, to see what your what your take is. And what are you basing it on? Just just if you were, if you were picking a side out of all the Six Nations players... Who, who performed... Who I think performed best within this Six Nations, purely this Six Nations... Okay. Um, and so I'll tell you, mine is massively England and Wales heavy. I've got one Irish, one Scottish, but we're extra England and Wales. But this is it. Number one, Kean Healy, Ryland. Number two, Ken Owens. Number three, Kyle Sinclair. Four, George Cruz. Five, you're going to hate me, Alan <laughs> Wynne-Jones. Wynne. Yeah. Number six, Josh Navidi. Number seven, Tom Curry, who I personally have also given player of the tournament to. Yeah. Number eight, Ross Moriarty. Number nine, I've actually gone for Scottish scrum half Ali Price. I just think when he played, I thought he just was pretty awesome. Number 10, Gareth Anscombe. 11, Johnny May. Number 12, Manu Tuilagi. Joining him in the centres at 13, I've gone Jonathan Davies. 14, I've gone Josh Adams. And fullback, I've gone Liam Williams. It's very Welsh, heavy. It is Welsh heavy. There's there's some English names in there as well, but Wales got the Grand Slam. Yeah, um, and I'm based it on this Six Nations, which are there any sort of I mean, stick I, out I, there? But... No, nothing that massively sticks out. Um, I possibly, I possibly would have gone uh, just given the problems that Wales had with their lineouts. Uh, I might have gone Jamie George at hooker. Yeah, J- Jamie George at hooker. I started with Jamie George at hooker. And actually, with hindsight, there's part of me who thinks Jamie George might have had a better game, better tournament. But I just, Ken Owens, I still think, had a good... And I'd I'd also, and I know it's going to sound like we just sent it because of of being in the England rugby pod, but I think I'd probably go Slade instead of Davies. As much as anything Uh, else, as much as anything else, I would argue it because whilst Wales' defence has been phenomenal, they they lack an attacking threat. But but Jonathan Davies... Hasn't been given the chance to do that. I don't think he personally lacks that attacking threat. I think the Welsh game plan does. And I think Jonathan Davies marshalling of the defence at 13. I think his contribution to the Six Nations was more impactful than Henry Slade's was, which is why I picked him. Fair enough. But yeah, other than those, I don't think I would have any major uh, changes. I'm trying to think. Um, Good. I mean, I'm guessing in that group, Alan Wynn is the captain. Uh, yeah, I think so. That, uh, Alan, Alan Wynn was captain of a Alan Wynn was captain of a Grand Slam winning team. Alan yeah. Wynn deserves it, yeah. and Alan Wynn had a fantastic tournament. He was close to me to be in player of the tournament, but I actually think Tom Curry. And yes, I'm sure there is some bias. I, I in my yeah, head, I'm I like, think Tom Curry was definitely up there. Yeah, I, uh, I as still was Johnny believe, May. I yeah, Johnny May had a great tournament. I still believe, whether I'm biased or not, I don't know, but I still believe Tom Curry was the player of the tournament. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, he was he was phenomenal. Um, yeah, no, I think that fair, that's that's fair enough. I'm not going to dispute anymore. I've had my couple of things that I would potentially do differently, but um, that's a reasonable. You've put together a reasonable case for a for a team of the tournament, not massively dissimilar to a lot of the other ones I've seen. 
Um, Other people have done this? I don't believe you, man. No, no one else has done it, mate. You're, oh, you're, thank you're, God. You're, you're the first. It'll prob- I thought so. It'll probably go viral. Uh, I'd be surprised if it didn't. Um, well, uh, we probably have, have covered enough for this episode. We've gone over the hour, so we, we, we had a lot to say. We've said it. Um, bottom line, guys, it's not panic stations time. England are more than capable of resolving the issues uh, that have arisen as a result of that game against Scotland. I don't see an error count, you know, particularly when it comes to some of the missed tackles, um, like we saw against them. I don't see that again ha- happening again. I think they'll, that's something they will be able to and they will put right. Um, and yeah, for me, it doesn't it doesn't change how I feel about England going to this World Cup. Um, I think they still go in as one of the favourites. And I still genuinely believe that they can win it. Um, and I believe they will. So this England rugby pod, uh, as we've pointed out on many occasions in the past, is all about looking for sort of silver linings, backing the boys right to the death. Um, and I, for one, still believe that England will win the World Cup in 2019. I have no doubt in my mind. Brilliant. Guys, uh, as we always say, thanks for listening. Uh, get over to iTunes, rate us, review us, let us know what you think. Um, if you've got any ideas as I've mentioned before for upcoming episodes get in touch we've had a few really good ones coming through so we've got lots of stuff to be getting on with but you know the more the merrier Um, spread the word Uh, you can reach out to us on email englandrugbypod at gmail.com or on uh, social we're at englandrugbypod and we will be back next week with not sure what yet something interesting Um, so join us again then